He is glorious. He's more glorious than we can imagine or dream. You know, one day we're going to stand in his presence. We're going to see him in all his glory. And we're going to be just absolutely overwhelmed. But before that time comes, God's given us a great honor, a great privilege, a great opportunity and blessing. And, and that is to allow Christ to be seen in us. The Bible says Christ in us is the hope of glory. What the world needs now is to see the glory of God in flawed, frail vessels like every one of us. And it will cause them to be drawn to him. Amen? God is so good. Well, if you would take a minute and greet the folks around you, and you can be seated. Thank you, Dennis, for uh, the communion message. It was, it was very encouraging. Um, Dennis said God loves unity, and we know that, right? And are we seeing it a lot around us? <laughs> I know, obvious question, but part of the reason why I ask questions is because it causes us to stop and just really, really consider. Because we go through life, and, and we're doing life at, at speeds that, are just crazy. We're packing so much into our, our, uh, our lives, our schedules, and sometimes we don't even recognize what, what really is going on. Um, none of us recognize completely, and, and we see so much division and so much animosity and so much anger. Um, but th again, that's what the Bible tells us is going to happen in the last days, uh, not just in the world, but in the church. The love of many, the Bible says, is going to grow cold. And um, we have to be on guard, not allowing that to happen in us. And yet we don't, we don't always see that attack of the enemy, the, the creeping coldness that the enemy wants to bring to our lives. And yet God is doing so many amazing things. We've been hearing different testimonies, and I got a call I was speaking with a, a husband and wife um, about a situation that they, were, they had been experiencing with their adult children, uh, where there had been a real division, a real break in their, their relationship, their, their interaction, their uh, involvement with each other. And they had been learning about love and how love is expressed in these different characteristics and how that that love will create unity and how in love we are to be merciful, be kind, be patient, be gentle, be humble, be forgiving. And yet in the midst of a, a, a riff in a family or any relationship, those aren't the first things that come to mind. Because whenever there's a division, there's a hurt that occurs on every side. 
And yet, as Christians, our, our responsibility is to walk in the ways that Jesus has for us to walk. Walk in the way God, who is love, has for us to walk, to, to build unity and uh, see the vision overthrown. And as this husband and wife were telling me how, how bad it had gotten, um, how intense and angry uh, two of their children had been with them, how they had looked at them in, in light in ways that weren't accurate, but it was their children's perspective, and they were holding to it. And they realized as they were praying for their kids and their relationship, uh, God was telling them to do exactly what we've been learning, uh, that we should walk in love, that if we walk in love, we'll walk in, in mercy, we'll, we'll offer mercy, not give them what they deserve. Because when somebody does something to us, what do we usually want to do? The same thing back to them. And, and it's, a, it's an automatic, it's a natural response, but we're supposed to be walking, being led by the Spirit. And the Spirit of God floods our hearts with love. And so being merciful and kind and gentle and patient and uh, humble and forgiving and all those things were not the natural response. And yet, as they prayed, God was directing them in how to... Uh, do what we learned in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we, we learned that it says, uh, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We also found out that it's the goodness of God that leads people in repentance or change or a turnaround. And yet, it's not the natural thing for us to do. And as they were praying, God was, God was speaking to them about blessing. And also in Romans 12, we're to bless those that curse us. Bless and not curse. And as they were praying, God directed them in blessings for each of their children, uh, independent of the other one. <clears throat> and as they worked on the plan to bring this blessing to pass in each of their children's lives, um, there was still that antagonistic, aggressive, interaction between their children and them and as they were obedient to God this is just you know God is so good in the midst of what each of their children at the time were relating to them they brought this blessing forth and it stopped their children in their tracks each of them they did it in, in two different situations and locations. Um, and each of the children had stopped them in their tracks. They, ha they couldn't say anything. And the next thing they knew, their children, it was like their eyes were open. And they recognized the love their parents weren't just showing them then, but had always had for them. It was a, it was a revelation that God had brought. And there was a restoration and reconciliation where the kids said you know we're so sorry we don't know what came over us or why we thought this but we can see now and now there's been this this reconciliation this family has been put back together because the parents somebody has to do what god says and when we do what god has for us to do then the rest is up to him to bring to pass 
and there was a restoration in this family. This family is, is doing well. And, and as I heard this, the parents were, were crying. They were so grateful to God. Uh, they, they related to me the fact that it was not easy, but they knew they needed to do it. And they were, they were hoping that it would have this outcome, but they didn't know when. And when it happened at the moment, they said it was, it was like a miracle God brought to them. So I just want to encourage you that um, people, as we follow the things God speaks to us in his word, whether it's here, whether it's when we're reading, whether we're, we're hearing a, a teaching or uh, watching a DVD or listening to a, a, a message uh, online, when you hear God direct something to you, Take it to heart. Because what God wants to do is nothing less than supernatural and miraculous. Amen? Well, we're going we're gonna to continue in uh, what we've been learning about unity and love. And, and uh, again, in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 14, it says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Clothe yourselves with love. That's the agape, unconditional, selfless, sacrificial serving kind of love which binds us together it connects us in perfect harmony or the niv says perfect unity so love is what connects us and that love connects us because that love covers a multitude of sin it it envelops it wraps around the sin that people commit against us if we just let the sin continue and we just hold on to that sin it's going to continue to injure but as we surround the sin that we experience at the hands of others, we experience God's redemptive work where he is able to redeem to the uttermost. He turns something that was awful and, and injurious to something that is beautiful and valuable. And how we do that is in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. We, we've seen this, but again, these are jumping off points. It says that, uh, as the elect of God put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. So our, our reference point is we forgive as Christ has forgiven us. That's, that's a high reference point, isn't it? Anybody here have any, any challenges with that besides me? I mean, when I look at that, I, I, I immediately think, God, that's not possible. But I know it is because with God, all things are possible, and all things are possible to those who believe. And the Word says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And yet I look at that with my natural understanding, my natural perspective, and I say, God, I don't know if I can do this. And God knows full well, you and I can't do this in ourselves but he's never intended us to do any of this in and of ourselves that's why the spirit of god dwells in us as a child of god you and i are never alone we're never without what we need in the person of holy spirit because the bible says holy spirit floods our hearts with love and in that moment, we have a choice. When somebody does something, we have a choice whether we're going to look to God or rely on ourselves and do what we naturally do 
or allow God to do what he can supernaturally do in our lives. And as we've learned this, we've been looking at, at different portions of Scripture, and today we're going to go back to what we left off uh, last week in where we were looking at Jesus who had gone into a Pharisee's house, Simon's house, to have dinner. He had been invited over. And yet, before we do that, let's just bow our heads uh, because this is not a religious exercise. This is an opportunity to pause, to invite God to speak to our lives because Every one of us needs to hear from God. I need to hear from God. We all need to hear from God today. And God has something specific and unique to you to help you and me and all of us grow in his grace and in his knowledge. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. We can count on it. There's no place we can go that you're not there. But we also thank you for the person of Holy Spirit who is always dwelling in us and available to empower us to live this victorious life, available to guide us, lead us and guide us into all truth, available to energize us and impart to us uh, the gifts that you have for whatever circumstance and situation we're in to bless and benefit others. Father, today we thank you for your word. Your word will not return void but it'll go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to accomplish and prosper in the way it goes. Your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. Father, today we thank you for illumination, bringing light into our situations and, and revelation and understanding and a wisdom that would bring transformation to us as we apply your word to our lives and, and walk in line with that. We thank you, Father, for your word that's truth, that sets us free and keeps us free. And, Father, your word that is life and health to us today. We thank you for healings and we thank you for deliverances and we thank you for uh, overflowing life that will come as you reveal and impart to us the life-giving truth, light, and health of your word. And we thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So in Luke chapter 7, we, we left off with this. Um, Jesus had been invited to Simon the Pharisee's house. He, he came that evening, he sat down, and while he was waiting, there was a woman that showed up. And this was fairly common. People would, would watch other people, and, and they had open-air seating places to eat. And this woman shows up, and she begins to weep and wash Jesus' feet with her tears, dry his feet with her hair, and then anoint his feet with this very costly perfume and oil. And uh, it was something that Simon should have done, at least washed his feet and had him ministered to when he came in, but it wasn't done, and that was a show of disrespect for Jesus. But as that happens, we pick this up and it says, now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this and he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Now, I have to tell you that um, in the Gospels, uh, oftentimes Pharisees are, Pharisees and scribes are depicted as self-righteous, as legalistic. Now, they were, they were well known for being teachers of the law, but they were also very focused on enforcing the law. 
and uh, it was more from outward religious works than true faith. And uh, they seem very quick to judge those who did not live up to their expectations. Jesus even mentions in another parable, uh, he was speaking to these, these Pharisees and he said, uh, spoke a parable about people who had trusted in themselves. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, this won't be up here, but uh, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and of the scribes, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, people had great respect for the Pharisees and, and the scribes, but oftentimes they were more outward focused than really inwardly transformed. And so right here, we see the Pharisee making these judgments. And not just judgments. He's looking down on two people, Jesus and this woman. Now, we could say, well, maybe he's okay in looking down on this woman because she had had a very bad past. But that's not what God wants any of us to do. But looking down on Jesus, being judgmental of Jesus, condemning Jesus, pretty dangerous thing. And, and immediately we know it's wrong. But he calls her, what's he say she is? A sinner. Okay? Now, of these three people, we've got the Pharisee, we've got this woman, and we've got Jesus. If anyone could call anyone a sinner without having it lay on them, who would it have been? Jesus. And yet Jesus doesn't call her that. But this Pharisee who is already judging Jesus wrongly and looking at this woman in a bad light, which is not what God has, he's elevating himself to distance himself from what she's like. Now, that's not just what Pharisees do. We all struggle with this. I, I really ask you to be honest with yourself today. Sometimes it's very hard to be, for us to be honest with us because we don't want to see us in a light other than a good light. And yet if we aren't aware of what's really going on, we can't make the transition we need to make and have the transformation God intends. And so this, this Pharisee is looking at this woman and saying she's a sinner, and yet he was a sinner too. Which of us can look at anybody else and say, you're a sinner, but I'm not as bad as you? And we can get away with it before God. Because our reference point, God says we're not to compare ourselves with one another. Who is our comparison to be with? Right. And the reason why is, who are we made in the image of? God. And that's the only time we can ever compare is we compare to God. Because we'll never know the full story of anybody else. We'll never know how bad they really are or how good they really are. And nobody will ever know how bad we really are or how good we really are except for God. And every time we look in judgment of another person, we don't have all the information. We have part of the story. God has it all and he's the only righteous judge. 
And so he's, he's making this judgment, which is what he did and what we do. We tend to do it. We make these judgment calls and these quick analysis of people and situations, don't we? If we make this quick analysis of people and, and situations, we need to because we need to be aware of what's going on. But we shouldn't be negative, okay? And when we make a quick judgment, many times it's a prejudgment, which is just a prejudice. And we all have them. There's not a one of us that doesn't have prejudices. We just aren't always aware of them. And in Luke chapter 6, the, the preceding chapter, uh, Jesus tells us in verse 37, he says, judge not and you'll what? Oh, that was not, 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 not acceptable. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and... You shall not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. So what is this? This is telling us exactly what the Bible tells us. We know the law of sowing and reaping. The Bible says God is not mocked. What a man sows, so will he reap. And this is showing us that sowing and reaping happens in the negative and in the positive. And how many of us want to reap negative? Of course we don't but we better check what we're sowing. And if we judge, we'll be judged. If we judge not, we won't be judged. If we don't condemn, we won't be condemned. If we forgive, we'll be forgiven. And so this is what God is telling us to do, and yet we see so many times. I'll make it personal. I see so many times in my life where I make a quick judgment. And it's not always right. You guys make judgments that aren't always right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we all do. And that's where we have to realize there's only one judge that is, is accurate. As a matter of fact, who is that judge? It is God, but the Bible says coming we're moving rapidly towards the day that we're going to be standing before jesus who's going to be the judge now for us as christians we stand before him and he's not condemning he didn't come to condemn the world but he's going to reward you for how you lived your life and what you did in accordance with what he had for you to do uh, because he's a god that rewards his kids, but there's a judgment coming to those that are not who have rejected him. And Jesus is, John chapter 1, the Bible says, Jesus is the word made flesh that dwells among us. And I want you to know it's the word that judges us. When we look at the word and our lives don't line up with the word, that word judges us. And we should be aware, we should see where there's a deviation from the word in our lives and in other people's lives. But when it's in our lives or anyone else's lives, we don't want anybody to condemn us and we shouldn't condemn anybody else. But don't you really want somebody to help you if you're misguided 
and off course and headed towards some sort of destruction. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're not judging one another in a condemning way, but we're seeing where the alignment with our lives and the word are off or somebody we have relationship with, their lives and the word are not aligned. The Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed in Amos? If we're not agreed with the word of God, we're heading off course. And that's one of the definitions of sin, to miss the mark of God. And so if I'm headed off course, I want Pastor Gabe or Jeremy or somebody who loves me, somebody involved in my life to come to me and say, hey, you know what, I, I am curious. This is what the word of God says. It appears that this is what's going on in your life. You know, we don't come saying, hey, you're missing God because that's already judging that they're condemning them. But you're off alignment. What's going on? Or am I misunderstanding what's going on? And it needs to be somebody that we trust and we love and we know that, that loves us because if somebody, if a stranger comes up and starts to tell us about how we need to adjust our lives, how receptive are we? No, we're, we're not real receptive. As a matter of fact, there's a real tendency for us just to blow them off and tell them to hit the road. But even when somebody comes that we love and that loves us, there's still a tendency to want to push back on them. But one of the most dangerous things in our lives is to not have people be able to tell us what we need to hear, the truth we need to hear. And so going back to, to Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 39, uh, it, it, we pick it up and it says that he had invited this woman, she was touching him, and Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. And we, we read this last week where there were two people that owed this creditor different amounts. One was a vast amount. The other one was just one-tenth of it. And, and Jesus says to them, they had nothing with which to repay. He freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave more. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Now, this is, this is an insight into us, into others, why, why we're not able to be merciful, why we're not able, readily able to be forgiving and, and kind and gentle and, and patient and humble with people around us that are doing all sorts of things wrong, some of them to us, some of them to others, some of them to God. And, and we take more of the tack of the Pharisee who was legalistic, who was just checking off boxes and saying, you know, you're, you're wrong. I'm, I, you're not doing it right. I, I. This says the one who is forgiven much, what? Who will love him more? I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Does that make sense to you? If, if, if somebody forgives you an awful lot, a whole bunch, 
Are you going to love them a little or are you going to love them a lot? You're going to love them a lot. If they forgive you a little bit, you know, you're going to appreciate it. But not like if they forgave you something that you couldn't possibly repay. And when we recognize what God forgave us, just close your eyes for a second. This, this is something that we receive communion today. Communion is a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross for us and how his body, what he did here on earth, but um, his body was broken for us to receive healing. He was beaten. His blood was shed for the remission of sin. That sin is what we have sinned, the sin in our lives, and what we will sin. It, it covers all sin. And when I think about that, I realize the multitude. Because I'm only aware, you're only aware of parts of your sin. There are, there are things that you've done you, you don't even recognize. You, you did something against God. And there are things that you haven't done that have not, have not been what God wanted you to do. That's sin. There is this massive amount of sin that God forgave us. And when we get a handle on that, when we really get a perspective that God really did forgive us, this massive amount that we couldn't possibly work off the debt that we owed, we're so appreciative to him. We love him. But it's not just a love for God. That love for God is translated into the great commandment. Jesus said, what's the great commandment? To love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That love for God starts to be shown, not just to God. God wants us to show it to one another. That love is shown in forgiveness and mercy and kindness and patience and gentleness, humility. And when we look at another person and what they've done, and we look at ourselves and see what we've done, we will never look down on another person and we will never hesitate to forgive to be merciful because God has been that to us. And because of our love for God, that love will translate into love for others, being merciful and forgiving. There's no one we can't forgive unless we choose not to. And when we do, we hinder God, God's forgiveness in our lives. Right now, Father, I ask you to help us not in a crushing way because it could be very crushing. But in a way that we can begin to glimpse the massive forgiveness that you have given to us. That, Father, we would be so appreciative, so thankful, so grateful so loving towards you that, Father, our lives would overflow with that love for you in an expression of love for others.
Father, seal this moment to our hearts. Help us the next time something happens. Help us to be reminded that we've been forgiven much and we, we will love much. You can open your eyes. If, in this situation, we get this insight of, of what the Lord was trying to show, not only the Pharisee, that there was much he had been forgiven, just like this woman, but he was unloving. We have a choice. We're either going to walk in the love of God or we're going to be very much like Pharisees. And there is no lack of Pharisees in the church today. It's what the older brother was. We, we looked at that parable of the father and the young son that took off and came back to the father and the older brother. And the older brother was critical and judgmental and condemning. He was Pharisaical. Church, we have to be very careful about this. It's so easy. It, it fits so naturally in our lives, and yet we're supposed to be supernatural in our walk with God. Going back to Luke chapter 6 where it says, Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. It goes on to say in verse 38, <clears throat> Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. Now, we often hear that in relationship to giving in, in, in the offering time, but this is the context this is in. It's not talking about money. This is talking directly about judgment, condemnation, forgiveness, if we judge the way the Pharisee judged, that's going to be what is pressed down, shaken together, running over, that will be brought back to us, that people will give back to us. Again, sowing and reaping. None of us want that. Condemnation, same thing. Pressed down, shaken together. When you press something down, the result is getting more into the same space. Is that right? Now, in the case of this, if judgment or condemnation is pressed down, shaken together, and, and running over, overflowing, nothing of what we want. But forgiveness? Do we want forgiveness pressed down more in the same space? Shaken together, overflowing? Yes, we want that. But that's where we need to see that this is what it's talking about. And we have to be very aware of how we live our lives. Are we living our lives by the love of God? Or are we living our lives by the law? Because the Bible talks about the law killing, but the Spirit gives life. And the Spirit of God is the one who floods our lives with love. And then in verse 39, it says, and he spoke this parable. Can a, the blind lead the blind? They will both fall into a ditch. See, even Jesus has some very obvious questions. Go ahead. A disciple is not above his teacher, and everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that's in your own eye? What's that next word? 
It's what the world, world looks at us as, hypocrites. What, what is a hypocrite? Yeah, a person that says one thing and does another. There's not integrity. When something's integrated, it's interconnected. It, it supports everything. And, and this is saying that this person is trying to take care of what's going on in his brother's eye before he takes care of what's going on in his own eye. Now, what's the difference in the two things in these two individuals' eyes? Exactly. Don't be afraid to say it. Size. Size. A speck, and what's the other one? A plank, or a timber, or a log. It's like a splinter versus a log. Different sizes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you get hit with a splinter in your finger, it's going to be uncomfortable. You get hit with a log in your finger, you may not have a finger. Right? So we're seeing something massive versus something very small. But recognize this. This is saying the one who has this massive thing in his eye is recognizing a little thing in somebody else's eye. Be forewarned. When we begin to see things in other people's lives, the first thing, the first thing we must do is not try and help them. We need to go to God and ask God, what's going on in my life? Now, this isn't just with each other this way. When you get a new car, all of a sudden, or a new car to you, and it's different than what you've driven, many times, all of a sudden, you notice all the same kind of cars out there. Look at all these cars that are just like the one I got. Is that not true? Or you get a dog or a pet or something, and you're noticing all those pets on TV that are just like the pet you have. Whatever you have, you start to notice in the environment around you. And this is warning us, church. This is warning us that if we start to notice something in somebody else's life, right there, stop. Don't go any farther. You need to see what's going on in your life. Because he says in verse 41, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Now, obviously, he's able to see that. But what is it that he's not perceiving? It says, but you do not perceive what? The plank in your eye. You have no awareness of what's going on in your own life. And it's bigger than what's going on in their life. I didn't make this up. This is what the Bible tells us. This is a hard pill to swallow. Because now, the moment we start to see and we're tempted to judge another person, we have to put on the brakes. Whoa. Yeah, I can see that. You can see that. Everyone can see that. Don't, don't start to focus on what that is over there. We all have a project. Husbands, your wife is not your project. Wives, your husband is not your project. (laughs) 
The project that God has given all of us is each of us. Because the reality is the moment we start to try and fix somebody else or change somebody else, because we're not God, we don't know exactly what they're supposed to be, we run the risk of manipulation. And the only person God's given you authority over, first and foremost, is you. And so we need to make that. The, the first step is when we start to notice these things, don't deal with what's out there. Start to find out from God what's in here. What's going on in my life? So it says, but you don't perceive the plank in your, your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck in, that is in your eye when you don't see the plank in your own eye? Isn't that the same way to say, this, a different way to say the same thing? Do you think God's trying to get our attention? I guess not, but he is. We don't, we don't want to have to face this, but this is what we have to face, especially today. You know, we're pointing at other people and saying, you know, you're, you're being so mean and so divisive and, and yet just pointing is starting to be divisive. It's important, church, that we take care of the project God's given us first. It says, first, remove the plank from your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. Now, is there any challenge with, with reading that and understanding that first you remove the plank that you can't see and you don't perceive? If you don't see it and you can't perceive it, have you ever had an injury somewhere where you're not able to see it? You can't reach it. What do you need? We need help. We need somebody outside of us to assist us. But if you're going to have somebody help you with something in your eye that you can't see and you don't perceive, and they say, hey, you got this beam in there, and we're like, no, we don't. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. And this big old thing is hanging out of our eye. And if we're not aware of it, if we don't see it, we don't perceive it, there's an element of something that will cause us loss, deception. It's there. We don't see it. We don't perceive it. And it's deception. And where there's deception, there is loss. So what do you have to have when, when you don't, think it's there, you don't see it's there, you don't perceive it's there, and so you say it's not there, and somebody comes to you and says, hey, you got this thing hanging out of your eye, and it's huge. What, what's our natural response? <laughs> You're out of your mind. Go find somebody else to mess with. You got to trust people that are telling things you don't see and you don't perceive. 
That's a Selah moment. We just need to breathe through this one. But we have to build relationships with each other where we've supported and encouraged and stood by and stood with one another. That in that moment, we, God directs us to go to somebody that we have this relationship with and we say, hey, brother, oof, I love you, but you got this big honking thing in your eye. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to say, I, I didn't, didn't realize it, but help me. Because if we're walking in love, we're going to be humble. We're going to be teachable. We're not going to be defensive. We're not going to be aggressive. Because that's what happens out there. You tell somebody out there that, that doesn't know the Lord or is not trusting the Lord and you don't have a great relationship with or they don't have great trust in you and you tell them something, their first thing is defensive or aggressive. It's natural. But you and I are no longer mere human beings. We have God living in us. And it says the first, the first thing. Why, why do we have trouble seeing this stuff in our lives? Because the Bible tells us the heart is more deceptive than anything and more wicked. And no one can know it. I don't know my heart. I don't know all that's going on in my lives, my life. Lives, my life. But the only one that does is God. And God uses people to help us grow and mature and develop into who he has for us to be so that we can do what he has for us to do. The Bible says God searches the heart and tries the reins to show us what's there. That's why we've got to make that first move. First, remove the plank from your own eye. Can't do it yourself. You got to have help. God's help first, but then there's human help. God uses people. And guess what? If God directs a person it wasn't because you told him to use them. God can use anybody he wants. Can't he? What if God uses a person that you don't particularly like? Now, I'm not saying he's going to do that all the time, but there are times when you and I mature we are not going to be coddled by God. He's going to use people that we have trouble receiving from. I remember telling God, you ever told God something that you thought he ought to do? I remember telling God that I, I, I didn't like this certain preacher. I didn't like the way he talked. Didn't like the way he did his messages. 
And I told God, I'll, I'll listen to anybody but him. Humble me. You know, the arrogance is just crazy. And, and every time I would go to listen or read or do something, I knew it wasn't where I was supposed to be. I knew I was supposed to be listening. And it was like, it was like nails on a chalkboard. It just grated on me. But guess what? I got so much from that person because it was the vessel God chose to use. It was a godly man that did what he did the way he did it and God didn't have a problem with it and was using him. And I've come to truly value and treasure this person and respect this person. I've not personally met this person. I've been in meetings. I even went to meetings this person held and still received from this person because God had to break me of some things that I could trust God to do what he wanted to do the way he wanted to do it because I needed help. There's no one here that doesn't need help. Every one of us needs help with things we don't even know we need help with. And once we receive that help, it says, first, remove the plank from your own eye. Listen, one of the things that's going to happen is we're going to realize what it took to have our plank removed, how we really had to trust and we needed somebody to come in a way that, that was humble and, and helpful and loving and kind and, and gracious and generous. And how unnerving it was for us and now we're, we need to go to somebody else and how painful it might have been and realize it may be painful to, for this person that we've seen the splinter in their eye first remove the plank from your own eye then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's There's an order here. We have to recognize that we don't recognize what's going on in our lives. We have to be aware we need help from God and he'll use people. We have to trust God and we have to trust people. Now, I'm not saying you trust everybody that's around you, but you need to have people that you trust around you that are proven. They love God. They love God's word. Not perfect because none are, but they are walking in a way that is, is God honoring. And they love you. Let God use them to help remove the things from your life that, that you're unaware of. And then you can go in the same spirit that they came to you in love and mercy and compassion and kindness, gentleness, humility, patience and forgiveness and help you deal with the things in your life.
And that in itself should cause us to be humble and loving and merciful and gracious and kind. In Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, it says, Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about and make sure that I'm not going the wrong way. Lead me on a path that has always been right. We're inviting God to investigate us, not for his information, but that we would be open, that he would share with us what's actually going on in our lives that we don't perceive and we don't see, because it is. And then to help us repent. Repentance should be a part of our lives, everyday part of our lives. Many times people think, well, I don't want to have to be re repenting all the time. Well, then you're not going to be changing. Because we, we need to keep adjusting to go on the path with God. And that's repentance. It's turning around. It's going the opposite way of the wrong way that we had been in that we didn't even realize. I'd like you to bow your heads. In looking out over everyone here, I believe I know everyone. And I believe that each one of you have made Christ your Lord. And that's the beginning of all of this. There's a trust that has to happen when we entrust our lives to God. But that trust has to continue every step of the way, every day. that we would trust him to guide our lives, to fill and flood our lives with, with his love, with him who is love, to empower our lives and to impart to our lives everything that we need, knowing that God will use people, flawed people, frail people, people that have failed, Maybe even failed you. Because when God uses each of us, that's what he's using. Somebody who has failed. Somebody who is flawed. Somebody who is frail. But God delights in taking the weak to confound the wise. And the foolish. Or the weak to confound the strong and the foolish to confound the wise. That way... No one gets the glory but God. And he should always get the glory and the praise and the honor. Father, I pray right now for every one of us here. Help us to become aware of what we don't perceive and what we don't see, what we don't recognize that needs to change. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's, it's kindness that we need to extend to somebody that we think, we're, that, no. But God, there's a transformation that needs to occur in my life and all of our lives as we go from glory to glory. 
not being conformed to this world, but being transformed into the fullness of what you have created us to be so that we can do what you've created us to do. Father, I pray for hearts to be healed here today. For those that have been injured and, and hurt and damaged, Father, I pray for healing. That they could let go and in love forgive and release. That they can, they, we could walk in mercy and gentleness and patience and kindness and humility. Father, help us to be ever aware in a releasing way how much you have loved us and forgiven us that we can love and forgive others. We freely receive, Father. Help us to freely give. Help us to recognize what we're sowing so we'll know what we we're reaping. And make the adjustment to sow the best. Father, we are present and poised to be vessels for your honor. Do a work in us that you can do the work through us in this hour. Help unite us as we walk in love for you and for one another. Thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. These last months have been some of the most challenging messages that I have ever shared. And I believe it's because God has for us to grow, to develop, to prepare us for what's ahead. And that is a blessing and it's an honor, but it's also a responsibility. And so I just continue, the elders continue to pray for, for the body here and the body of Christ in, in, in the earth that we would, we would be fully prepared and present. willing to be who God has for us to be, to do what God has for us to do in these last days. just want to bless you and pray over you before you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your beloved. Each one. Father, this is part of the bride of Christ. I thank you that you have said that you are coming back for your bride without spot or wrinkle and you're taking the spots out and smoothing out the wrinkles. Father, you're coming, Lord, you're coming back for the church, glorious and victorious. Thank you for the victory in these lives. Thank you for the provision and the power in these lives. Thank you for the manifest presence 
of your spirit, your kingdom at hand in these lives. Lord, as we go, we go knowing you go ahead of us and prepare the way and that you're our rear guard. We thank you that you uphold us with your right hand of righteousness and blessing. And you cover us. Cover us with your songs of, of love and of life, of victory, of hope and peace and joy. Father, as they, they begin to transform us and resonate in us, we begin to sing them out to all those around and display, Lord, your presence in us, which is the hope of glory. And as that happens, we'll be very careful to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. One last thing before you go. I uh, would ask you to be praying for Mickey Reed and her family. Her brother Mark went on to be with the Lord this week. Um, just be praying for God's presence, God's comfort, God's strength, God's love and grace to, to flood their hearts and, and help them during this time. There's a service today at Greater Grace Church in Utica uh, at 1112 Nye Avenue. So if you're directed by God, I know it would be a great encouragement to uh, Mickey and her family to see familiar faces there. So God bless you. Have a great week.